College basketball never, ever sleeps. I'm Timmy Hall. Over there in the studio, it's Evil Bald Colin, E.B. Colin, C.B. Evil, Just Colin, Raising Cane's lover, whatever you want to call him. How you doing, man? We are still going strong, trying to bring the great college basketball fans here in Columbus some extra content as we try to keep ourselves busy and try to keep our sanity. Well, first off, I want to say that while the sport might actually be sleeping, we are not. Because even though we haven't been releasing any updated podcast since we did our last one, uh, I want to say was it early March, mid-March, something like that. Um, no, yeah, we've been talking about it a lot. We've been throwing ideas back at each other, news topics we've seen, things, topics that we could talk about on this podcast. I'm doing well, and I can't wait because we're going to talk about what's going on in the sport right now and some of the momentum towards getting back to workouts and things basketball-related. I don't feel like wasting any freaking time, Colin. This is Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it. He hit it. He hit it. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Bang. Oh. Oh. Did it, Jerome? <laughs> College basketball. This is March Madness. Here we go. Talking some college basketball with you. I am Timmy Hall. He is E.B. Colin, the evil bald Colin. We are your two biggest college basketball fanatics here at 97.1 The Fan. We are pleased to be bringing you our summer episode number one. I don't know if we restart the count here. No, I think we just, keep I think it going, you just continue it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just continue. But, I mean, just know that this is our summer episode part one. I, it's like you said. I don't even remember when that was. But he, we had the huge break from when we all got sent home to where we had to get our remote broadcast setups. And then we did that sort of season-ending podcast. Mm-hmm. But, man, they're... We follow a lot of social media accounts. We talk to a lot of people in college basketball, and it, it never sleeps. It might be the off season, and stuff might be shut down during the coronavirus pandemic, but stuff is still going on. You might not be able to get that one-time transfer waiver right now, <laughs> or you might not be able to recruit, but things keep on ticking, and we got a lot of fun and not a whole lot of time because we want to bring it to you at a rapid rate here. We've got a, tr- a a big transfer, even though this guy might have to sit out. He might not, though. There's, there's still some things up in the air there. So we'll get to that. We've uh, got the to potential. Me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll I'll give you some of that. Let's do We've it. We've got the potential for a Ohio Classic here in the uh, years to come. Chris Holtman having some thoughts about that in the last month. We've got uh, college coaches that haven't won national championships to rank. We've got an ugly situation that might be brewing out west in the desert. And you've got uh, one of our favorite segments, Evil Bald Collins' mid-major flavor. <laughs> and he's got one in particular that he wants to bring you. But starting right off, Mac McClung. He's got a new home, Colin. We both love this guy as a player, right? Uh, this kid looks like he's... 13 years old. He's just got like a nice flow game. He's got incredible hops. He's shifty with the basketball. He can get his own shot. That is a tremendous get for Chris Beard. I just, 
I, I'm sure Chris Beard is just tickled to death that Mac McClung is going to be a Texas Tech Red Raider. So Patrick Ewing, we hope that he's okay. We know he tested positive for COVID-19, but he loses McClung, so mm -hmm. the Georgetown kid is going to be a Red Raider. Yeah, you know, send out David Moretti, who was the star-studded right. guy in yep. that Final Four run they had. It was a good free-throw shooter. I think he was almost close to setting the record in a season for consecutive made free throws and a three-point shooter. Sub him out for Mac McClung. Now, I, I believe everybody, you know, if you're into the sport, will probably remember M McClung in his freshman year, especially when he kind of burst onto the scene in the game at Illinois where he was just doing reverse dunks and whatnot. I think that's just really the first impression that everybody got of him, not only in his high school career, but what he's done early on in his college career. But to just talk about the magnitude of what this means, not only for just, and we'll, we'll talk about the Big East later, but it's big for the Big East, obviously. But it's going to be huge in deciding this Big 12 because I, I know everybody's going to want to talk about Kansas and Kansas and Kansas, but I, I think Texas Tech is going to make their comeback to the top of the total bowl. Really? Well, I, I just think they're that deep. They had a little bit of a uh, – it wasn't a rebuilding year. It was more of like a reloading type of year. They were kind of upper middle pack of the Big 12, as we both have discussed in past episodes. But with what, everything that Kansas is losing with uh, Yudoka Azabuke and then David Dotson, I mean, this just opens up a path for a team like this. And I've always said – a good point guard is going to take you long ways. I think Texas Tech is a team we need to talk about going forward when we start diving into these conferences. Texas Tech under Chris Beard, let me tell you, when, when, we, when we get to the at least my ranking, and you can maybe try to guess some of the others that will be up there, college basketball coaches not to win a title yet. Chris Beard, even though he is still really, really new, you get a lot of points for being really new and taking a program like Texas Tech to a Final Four that quickly. And... The, the guy's a star. I'm just telling you right now. So I, I didn't think that Texas Tech was falling off the map just yet, just because they didn't look like a team that was going to, you know, return to the Final Four. Not a lot of programs do that anyway, even the Blue Bloods out there. So you just sort of retool, you get your recruiting back in order. And McClung, by the way, what I was going to say, and uh, this was this was written by Gary Parrish just yesterday. And he was saying that McClung might have just provided the blueprint to get your eligibility waiver. And you and I would both like to see it passed anyhow, yes. where guys can do this once and not have to make up rules. We, of course, being here in Columbus, Ohio, there was a very public situation that happened to Justin Fields where racist things were said to him, ugly stuff. And by a, by a fellow Georgia athlete, nonetheless, I mean, how, how sickening is it? I mean, there wouldn't be a person alive that would step in and try to block Justin Fields, you know, freebie to play right away when you understood the circumstances that would let the kid mentally want to look for another home aside from Georgia. And who in their right mind would try to build an argument against that? But apparently McClung, he he said he provided a statement to ESPN and he said it was a number of different events that made me feel I had no choice but to transfer from Georgetown. I really wanted to stay, but things throughout my career made me realize that I couldn't. And Parrish is saying, you know, ladies and gents, that's how you do it right there. That's at least how you set the groundwork to present your case. And we know, Colin, there's... You can talk your way around anything, can't you? But some can. But yes. bottom line is, if if something 
really detrimental happened to Mac McClung when he was at Georgetown, and we just don't know what it is yet. And when you start poking around the case, he's going to have to speak up about it, and hopefully for his sake it stays private if that's what he wants. But depending on what it is, there's a hundred things you could say to a guy like me, and I would sign the form and say, okay, I got it. Like The, the point of this is that there, there's something. You can present some kind of case. We're not talking about a court of law here, but give me something within reason where I can sit here with a, you know, a panel of three or four of my colleagues and we can say, all right, that sounds reasonable. Best of luck to you. Yeah, I didn't hear that statement, but it's interesting to hear because there's just been a lot of weird buzz around that Georgetown program. Even recently, there's been a lot of guys, I mean, at, re- at least recently, so you ever, uh, Omar, I think it's Omari or Omar, you're seven, the big oh, center for them. Yeah. He's going pro. Yurtson, yeah, Yurtson, yeah, whatever. Ju- mm-hmm. he, uh, he he's going pro. So he it was kind of out of left field from what they were thinking. And then McClung doing this, but also even we've talked about how he was such a high flyer playing the game. There was a lot of times, and especially as being a Big East fan, he was always on the bench. He was out hurt. I don't really know what's going on, and I don't want to speculate. But there, with all the good that came with his time at Georgetown, there was always some kind of speculation about what's going on, what's the issue. But if that's the case and he needs to find a way to get out, I totally support it. And if it's it's a, it's a good reason, that, like we've talked about, what Justin Fields sure. had to get his waiver, absolutely. And and the thing that he did right, as Parrish was talking about, is that he did not talk basketball at all. And that's that's what you do when you're when you are trying to make a case about playing right away. You cannot sit here and talk about playing time or talk about fit, oh, of style, anything like that. No, that's utterly ridiculous. If he comes ridiculous. out and says that Georgetown only won five conference games last year, I'm out. Yeah, you're not going to yeah, get it. Yeah, and again, like we both think we we want to get to the day where we don't have to discuss this. You get one freebie because it's your mm-hmm. life. But if you're talk, if we're still in this world where you have to have a reason or an excuse then that, to either of us, is simply not an excuse. So, uh, I, I agree, this, but it's, yeah, also re- it's also really disappointing when I see guys of like high figure that have high voice in this profession that kind of like you know shoot down the idea of it and they're providing just things I don't even think really qualify. I see John Rothstein doing it all the time with this. And he's Are you about, talking about Rothstein shooting down the idea of the one-time free yeah, transfer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, he's been doing it forever, and he's basically been on this role of talking about, like, you yeah, know— I tune that of, out with him. Certain amount of <laughs> credits. I love him, though. Certain amount of credits don't transfer over. You know, players, oh, if they go from a small mid-major school to a, a high major— credits. Yeah, he's talking about more credits. of the, the academic side of things. Um, I went to Weber State for my first year (laughs) in college. Everything transferred over. I mean, stuff transferred. Maybe if I went to Yale from Weber State, I would have had some issues. But, you know, I didn't. I went to Kansas. It was all good. Yeah, it's a lot of half-hearted, like, reasons that don't really add up and aren't really a good argument. But I just – I think everybody that has the the player's interest in mind for the best sake of them should be on board with it. Well, uh, Evil, we could only dream, you know, as we keep growing this beautiful baby that we have, Mad About Hoops, we can only dream of getting to the point where uh, an ex-Buckeye basketball player, the president of Club Trill, who just rode the pine (laughs) as beautifully as anyone has ever ridden the pine. I mean, I've, I've said here before, as I dreamed about being a college basketball player, 
I think I dreamed of being one of those bench warmers before it ever became a thing where they just sort of developed into superstars. My dream always ended with like the one shot and shining moment Mm. of the agony of defeat where you've got like the image of that guy like, oh, my God, putting his hands on his head or he's biting his towel on the bench and the tear rolls down the face. I mean, there's only I mean, I mean. Yeah, everyone wants to dream about winning, but we we can't all win. I just figured I'd have a dream about something that's that's horrible, but I still got there. I still got to the tournament and I had a little moment. But the uh they had Chris Holtman on, talking about uh, Titus and and Tate, yeah. Tate Frazier there. And Chris Holtman keeps talking it up about this he keeps getting asked about it too. I guess I should preface it with that. But this is a guy who let the cat out of the bag that his side, Ohio State, has been proactive and has reached out to all three of the other Ohio basketball counterparts about a future Ohio basketball classic. We, we got to come up with something different than Crossroads. We cannot just copy what Indiana calls the event, but a similar type event where the big basketball brands in Ohio get together, play some ball, even if it's just two separate games, not even a round-robin type of thing. We'll take whatever, get him in the same spot, get all the fan bases there together, let's mingle. He said possibly look uh, look for two or three seasons away with the schedules that are set up. Of course, there's no givens right now. Mm-hmm. He kind of They joked about Dayton maybe being the team that's the pest and how uh, they're going to bicker about where this thing is played. And uh, Holtman seemed to agree that it's the Buckeyes that have to sort of take the lead to set up the venue and the the dates for when this would be. But the idea, the ball's rolling, and that's very exciting for Hoops fans here in Ohio. So my biggest point with this Ohio Classic idea is I just, I don't understand why, and I'll put this up to you, the question is, is why, and why is this the reason, or maybe it's the only reason why this tournament won't happen currently, is because Cincinnati and Xavier refuse to play each other outside of that crosstown shootout. Yeah, and you know, they don't have to play each other. Like, had we ever stopped to consider that? Like, there are so then, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? We uh, can still get the fan bases together. Cincy and Xavier, they can they can just copy what we've been doing here during COVID nineteen, and they can quarantine themselves away from each other. They don't they don't ever have to look at each other. They don't have to see each other. It could just be one year Ohio State plays. Dayton, uh, one year Ohio. I mean, Ohio State plays Xavier. You could just have have it so where Xavier and Cincinnati is never a matchup that occurs. Simple as that, right? Yeah. Yes, but if you're in Ohio State spot, then you're only playing either Xavier or Cincinnati every year. I guess the problem is, is because I think the most vocal of the people out there that want this to happen are Dayton fans, and they don't even get what they want in that scenario. It was they want right. to play Ohio State. All right, I'm sorry. So, right, in this in this situation, Ohio State could not play Dayton. It would be just Ohio State going back and forth with Xavier and Cincinnati because, yeah, what uh, – all right, well, I just talked myself into a hole there. I just <laughs> I just dug myself a nice hole there, Colin. Help me get out of it. Well, I, I the, just don't the think the there's – solution for this thing? I think the only solution – there's talk about it happening. Yes, the only solution, I think, is that Cincinnati and – Xavier have to kind of come to a truce where it's saying like, you know, we can still play this game in the home or away arena, wherever you're we'll playing play twice. And then Why don't we'll we play, play twice? twice because I mean, look at it. It's not college football. You technically play your rivals twice. If you're a team like uh, Duke and North Carolina, where sure, that's supposedly the most sacred matchup of all. And they play twice. Why can't you do it in this scenario? I think Boy. it's possible, but they have to be willing to bend the rules.
it's the way it's the old way things have been, right? Because yeah, you said it. I mean, the fact that Kansas and Missouri don't play anymore at all, but and they are this comes, year. They are yeah, this year. They, it's but that took a long, long, long time, and that yep. came from Kansas's side too. How they were so bent out of shape that Missouri would leave the conference, and I was kind of with them. I was like, "Yeah, stick it to them, screw them, leaving the Big Twelve, leaving the rivalry and all this behind, just for more money, so they can get into the SEC." It makes no geographical sense. It's ridiculous to think of Missouri in the SEC. I hope they never win anything when they go there, and for the most part, they haven't. I, I don't think they've won a championship in either hoops or football since they went down there so that's good but yeah that that's gonna happen finally Cincinnati and Xavier has always happened anyway it's two teams in the city just just imagine if you could get a second game every single year and this wouldn't even be every single year it would just be when the classic has to fit but you're right you want it to work so that everybody sees everyone so that the Ohio State Dayton matchup actually gets to happen how many years has it been since Ohio State and Dayton have played in the regular season it's that that one I don't I don't think uh, the calendars go back that far. It's been so long. I don't know personally, but I the only two scenarios that obviously come to my head are the the postseason with the NCAA tournament and then also the NIT appearance where they played back at uh I played they, they played at Value City for that one. But no, yeah, it's it's a scenario where you gotta really. I think all the fans want it. Um, I don't know the census across like Cincinnati and Xavier's fan bases on what they want with it. Would they be willing or okay with it? But it's just kind of something like if we're talking about it so much, let's get the first level of this whole thing figured out before we can even progress to thinking about, okay, which weekend are you going to play this on? Because I've seen other people talk about, well, you know, let's put this little thing on the weekend or the, uh, the week leading up or like the holiday weekend, right? Before you play Michigan. I'm like, well, you can't do that because if you do that, you take yourself out of the, Ability to play in either Maui, Maui or Bali, or the Atlantis. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. There's, there's lots of dates though. I mean, come on, you're talking about all of you November and all of December. Oh, yeah. yeah, easily. You, you would have this in December again, not to copy what Indiana does, but there are, there are weeks I mean, leading up can. to Christmas. You can. There are weeks, a couple of them leading up to Christmas, where you've got some flexibility. And you get done with some of your major conference games. If you're not doing one of those extra conference to conference things, like if you're missing a year, you could even you could even talk to the people at the Gavit games and tr- if you still want to do that, which you should, mm-hmm. to just pick pick whatever closest open date you have. Or how if about, you're going to go on with this Ohio thing? Here's the thing: I can understand the logistics with December being tough <clears throat> because the Big Ten has those two games you have to play in conference in that month. I totally get that. Plus the CBS Sports Classics there. And that's right before you go on your little winter break. I totally get that. You want to avoid the Michigan weekend. I totally get that. Let's do what the Champions Classic's doing. Let's put it the first weekend or maybe the second weekend. Let's just get it out of the way early in November. How about that? I I also think if Cincinnati and Xavier, well, um, let me think this through here. This would this would bring out a possibility for them to play. Uh, it would still be twice. It, say that they're okay with doing it, and they're okay with meeting a second time at a neutral setting. So they'd have their their home and home down there, the crosstown shootout, and then they would have this one neutral game. If they agreed to that, do you think everyone could agree to making it a mini tournament where the winners mm. play each other? I think they could, but I'm also 
the brain's working How here. How great I'm, would that be? I'm, I'm thinking as we're recording this. What if we, um, what's the name of that arena we've been talking about down there in Cincinnati that got removed from the the NCAA tournament? Is cycle? that U.S. Bank Arena? So what the if we horrid so, thing next to the Red Stadium? So what about for the once every three years you hold it down there? You keep the sanctity of the game in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati area. You only meet one time during that season, and it's during that little tournament. Can that work? I, I'm trying to compromise with them right now. I don't even know. Like, But if they're going to agree to doing this, and they're going to agree to not – see, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. If you get to the negotiation table and they don't want to budge, Cincinnati and Xavier are not going to play a it's second tough. time. Yeah. I would, I'd still do it, though. I would still do it if that meant Ohio State is going to flip-flop playing Xavier and Cincy, and we're going to get that game every single year in its neutral site because that at least gets two out of the three boxes checked. And again, I'm still searching for when Ohio State last played Dayton in the regular season. But for Xavier, until we know that it was it was something ridiculous until they played Cincinnati these last two years in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Last time regular season meetings, Ohio State and Xavier, 1933 and 1934. And I again, I think it's been just as ridiculous with Dayton. I think there might have been one back in the '60s or something like that. It's just crazy. You just you have to figure out a way to dial this stuff up. And Holtman said on that podcast earlier that you know look for maybe 2022 or 2023 at the earliest. And uh, it, it has been talked about, and it's That's something that the fans but, love. But for yeah. him to put a time range on that kind of tells you where they are in the process. So maybe they're further along than we even thought. It, yeah, because back in 2017, we were still talking about this. And hopefully we just don't keep kicking the can down the road. And we got to like we we seriously have to we got to throw fuel on the fire for this thing to happen. David Egelhoff at Ohio State, who's their operations manager, he he loves it. He's always talking about this. So mm-hmm. if guys like that and we can maybe get another guy or two in the other basketball programs at Xavier and at Cincinnati and at Dayton that are into this, I I just Dayton for one, I could not understand how they wouldn't run to an event like oh, this they want just to, to get their shot. Everybody to play. I talked to everybody that I talked to is a Dayton fan says they want this so bad. They've been pushing it harder than anybody else, I think. But it's funny, you actually mentioned Holtman saying something about twenty two, twenty three. If that's accurate, they're they're looking for around then. You're talking about that plus the Maui in one season? Sign maybe me up 20, for that. M- yeah, maybe 23 then. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You're going to say yeah, you're we right. got certain commitments that we're tied into right now, but after that we can start getting our ducks in a row and plan on it, and then we can get these beefed-up non-conference schedules adjusted accordingly. So that's that's something that I know we are all looking forward to. How about a quick breather, and then we'll be back with much more Mad About Hoops right after this. All right, so anybody that knows me knows that I'm a Big Ten fan. I'm also a Big East fan, and I kind of teased this topic a little bit earlier. Who isn't? Well, depends on who you're asking. But I teased this topic a little bit earlier regarding to Mac McClung. There's a lot of changes going across college basketball this year. There's a lot of roster movement. There's a lot of guys going pro. Maybe some that shouldn't be right now. But because of that, the Big East is going to look vastly different this year, outside of probably Villanova. So I saw a little bit of a statistic. If, well, now LJ Figueroa, the combo guard for St. John's, is on the road. He is transferring out of St. John's. He was on the list of the top top 15 scorers in the conference. And then you have Sadiq Bey, the do it everything forward for Villanova, oh, yeah. who's still in the the uh, the pool for the NBA draft. In if he pool, does decide yep. to stay in, only three of the fifteen 
top scorers in the Big East return next year. That would then leave Marcus Zagorowski from Creighton as the leading returning scorer for the conference. Wow. It's incredible. Does this concern you, though? Because I know you being such a staunch <sighs> Big East basketball fan, this is always a league that's going to continue to be there. They, uh, you know, they're all losing guys, you know, so it's mm-hmm. just going to present opportunity for those next guys up on those rosters. Some of those second or third or fourth options from the teams in 2019, 2020 to just step up. And it's just it's how college basketball works. You know, one wave of stars leaves and then those next guys We're talking about, you know, back here in the Big Ten. Then it's, you know, like Lenzel Smith Jr. here at Ohio State who moves up from a junior to a senior and then can become an 11-point-per-game guy. And That's maybe a poor example, but you're going to have guys that'll step up and become phenomenal players in the years to come. To answer your question, yes, I am concerned. I think the Big East is going to take a dramatic step back from where it was last year, which is understandable. It was one of the best leagues last year without a doubt. But this is going to be like a two-horse race this year. It's going to look like Villanova versus Creighton. I, I personally believe that's just who's going to be in the lead. I, Villanova brings back a lot. That was a really young team last year. They got Colin Gillespie still coming back as the point guard to run things. Uh, mm, Jer- yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, him. a good forward. I mean, if Sadiq Bey comes back, they're probably going to be my favorite for the title. They're a lock. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they would be a lock for the Big East, in my opinion, and that's coming from a Butler fan. But no, everybody else is losing tons of players. I mean, Xavier losing their top two guys and Najee Marshall and Terrence Jones. Butler's losing Jordan Tucker and Kamar Baldwin. Uh, go down. You can go down a list of all these teams in the conference, and it's going to look drastically different. Yeah. I yeah, think you outside of those like, two teams, it's a crapshoot. And you mentioned the big stars as well. And when you talk about Seton Hall's star and Marquette's Gone. star, Gone. those guys that just paced the league. We already talked about Mac McClung. And you know, I don't even know if – because Georgetown was no good. I mean, they were you know, 15 and 17 in a five-win team in the league. We more just we more just knew Mac McClung was a really good player on a poor team. From his freshman year, he was yeah. more known. But yeah, he was often injured and out of the lineup last year. Yeah, Xavier, they're going to lose a couple of their senior guys. They're big rebounder. He's going to be done. So remember how we talked about Villanova as well, where we, mm. at least I, thought that it was going to be a tough year for them in the Big East because there were a lot of really established programs with really big-time players who were in their senior seasons. And I thought Villanova had, you know, they had really good players, obviously. Ohio State was able to smack them in the second game of the season, which was awesome. And I knew Villanova would get better as the year went along. But for them to actually, you know, rise to the top and grab a share of the Big East championship again, it just kind of shows you how good Jay Wright is and how established they are that they can lose really, really good players in one year. And he's always, he's recruiting at such a level where even the dudes that you aren't even considering yet are going to step up and walk through that door. They do it. Like that's how good Villanova is right now. No. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. I mean, tons of guys that I was warning us about before Ohio state was going to play them early last season. Ended up didn't even playing very much. Brian Antoine, another guard that's going to be really good, and he only played sparingly because he was hurt early in the season and didn't play much later in the season either. It's just a very deep program that Wright's put together, and I I think that's why they were able to sustain as much as they did last year and at least tie for a, a crown of the title last year in the conference because they're so deep, they're so conditioned, and they're so well coached. And I believe it starts at the point guard position, which I say for almost every single team. 
Colin Gillespie is one of those three returning leading scorers. He's going to be a, a cornerstone for this team. And now you're just adding another year for Jermaine Samuels and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. It's just, it's it's unbelievable. And I think NBC's also got them as their number one team going into the season. So at this point, don't expect Jay Wright to go anywhere. All right, CB. I want to uh, take a few minutes here. This is just my random thought bubble for the podcast for summer episode number one. And I don't even know where this thought came to me. I, I did see this article that talked about how long it takes a college basketball coach to win their first tournament championship. I kind of looked at this after I already was uh, throwing my own list together, though, but it was interesting. Matt Norlander did it. And if you were curious, on average, it takes a coach almost 15 years before winning your first title. Not everybody can be like Kevin Ollie, who gets it two years in as Jim Calhoun's players and then has lots of issues and is now done. It's it's normally going to be like Tony Bennett, who took 13 years at Virginia to get somewhere, make a name for himself, build up and then strike. Chris Beard had a really uh, close chance to do it early at Texas Tech, but it wasn't to be that was that was Tony Bennett's turn to get it done but just wild stuff so I, it got me thinking my top coaches currently current college basketball that have not won natties right yet and I did a nine coach list called a power nine because everybody does top 10 lists so I just did nine and shaved one off and I started with our guy one of our favorite people the Holtman Chris Holtman at Ohio State and I couldn't just be the fanboy here and put him right <laughs> up at the top because I had to recognize all of the other guys at college basketball that have been in their situations for a little bit longer than he has, and they've won conference championships and gone a little bit deeper in NCAA tournaments. There's a lot of guys that haven't won titles that are doing really good things, but Chris Holtman, five straight. Uh, he's just an automatic guy to get out of the first round of the NCAAs. Wherever he coaches, he's established something at Butler, kept that thing going. And then you see what he's doing here at Ohio State. And they they were primed to make a big run this year when everything got canceled. I know everyone can say that, but Ohio State can say that. I put uh, Lon Kruger at number eight. Oh, man. Big fan yeah. of Lon Kruger. Mm -hmm. This guy is a good guy, really knows college basketball, really has a good style of offense that he can run. He's... He's done it with different teams, too, and it just seems like his players respect him so much, and he's put up a lot of wins, and he's been competitive everywhere he's been. I mean, stints at uh, Kansas State, Florida, Illinois, UNLV, Oklahoma, and it's not like he's just there for a year or two and then he's gone. Like, he's been around a long, long time. This guy has going to be close to 700 wins soon. Chris Beard, I just think he's hot, man. I told you earlier in the podcast, I got him at number seven. Chris Beard at Texas Tech because he's a stud. Scott Drew has got to be high on a list like this. Taking over for what was going on at Baylor right when he took the job where, I mean, you remember that situation. You had a player That's for ridiculous. Baylor murder Bad. another. I mean, and then he walks right into that and takes over the team. And then he's established a different kind of culture and winning ways. So it's been remarkable what Scott Drew has done at Baylor and how they're always a contender. You never, never thought of Baylor basketball. Matt Painter in our conference here in the Big Ten, Purdue. I don't it's think Matt Painter. Choice. I don't. Hey, man, I don't think he gets nearly the credit that he deserves for just for doing what he does at a place like Purdue. Maybe like people have differing opinions on what Purdue can be. I think that's a hard place to win. That's just that's me. Fair. 
I think he's part of the reason why that stays afloat and why we can still think of Purdue and Indiana as such a great rivalry in college basketball because being there in that state, even though it's such a basketball-rich state, it gets left behind by the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Kansas. It does. I think mm-hmm. that takes a lot of work to do what he does. Then I go 4-3-2-1 uh, because I know we're running short on time here for the pod. Dana Altman out at Oregon, who has just been really good there, and he was awesome at Creighton before he went out there. Leonard Hamilton down at Florida State, getting up to the tippy top now at three. Then Huggy Bear, I mean, come on. Uh, Huggy Bear, I think, is going to go on ice here soon. But still, (laughs) when you look at the overall picture, he wouldn't be like the first guy I said, if you can pick one coach now who hasn't won a title going forward. And he's he's got a legit team this year to do it. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're not be better. Gonna be a joke. No, no, they've they've kind of been a little back and forth here in the last five years, but they still he's still done really nice things at West Virginia. All the programs he's taken to Final Fours that speaks for itself. And the number one guy, which it might be more of a curse than anything right now, is Mark Few uh, out of Gonzaga, who has taken the say. program to different levels, and now he's sort of in a position where I think you have to win a national championship mm-hmm. at some point, at some point, or it's a stain on the legacy. Yeah, that's a really good one. But he's going to lose a lot this year, so it's going to be even tougher going forward. But, yeah, that's got to be, without a doubt, the number one. Um, I don't have a list, per se, but I'll just kind of fill in some guys that I was I was thinking about that you didn't actually list. I don't know if it technically, technically counts because I think he can actually get back into the game. But, man, John Beeline at some point, whenever he gets back into the game, that's got to be a name on the list right away. Um, another one I'm also thinking about is Mike Bray. He would have been there, yeah. Mike Bray from Notre Dame. I, I think okay. just yeah. kind of the success like he's had, some Elite Eight appearances. Um, maybe Greg Marshall, but with all the talent he's lost there at Wichita State, I don't really know when his next no, opportunity is going to come. he's up for consideration. I like Greg Marshall. He's done some really great things at Wichita State. He had the, he had the 32, 30, three 30-win seasons. I'm sorry. Four 30-win seasons. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And I, thirty and nine, thirty-five and one, thirty and five, thirty-one and five. A few, a few years later, no. Greg Marshall is awesome. Five hundred and twenty-two uh, wins. He might have been an omission on this list right here. A mistake. And I was putting this together while you were saying that, so I might have missed this one. But this is the number one I didn't think I heard was Sean Miller. And just the, the bag man has done his stuff down there, in Arizona. I, yeah, and I got to give know. him some respect for that. You know me though. If there's <laughs> if there's tremendous suspicion about you being naughty, naughty, then I don't know if I'm going to throw you in on my list where I'm honoring guys. I can't. I just can't honor that. I I just can't then do it. You can't even point. honor your own head coach. I didn't. I know. Did, I, I know. didn't. Did I? Know. I? No. No, you didn't. didn't. We're not going down that road right now. <laughs> I didn't do it. All right. Hey, we we'll take another quick breather here. We'll have two more quick things. Two more quick bullet points on our first summer episode to hit you with something going on out in the desert and, of course, Evil's mid-major flavor. So just uh, nestle right in there and get comfortable. That's next. So one of our favorite coaches in America probably has to be Bobby Hurley out there at uh, Arizona State. Fiery man. He's fiery man, and he, always mad and upset. He's well, mad about hoops. He is. He will tell you what he's thinking and how he feels. But actually, there's a very serious story that's actually going on out out there with the Sun Devils specifically. Yeah. So yeah, there's totally. actually there's a scenario where I guess I've been trying to research up on this a little bit, but supposedly there was a complaint or a accusation against a booster that was 
uh, sexually assaulting people yeah. around the program and Sexual actually harassment. the wife of Bobby Hurley, correct? Yeah, yeah, you're correct. Uh, that's one of the women. There, uh, I think, were three wives. It says Hurley alleges that Ray Anderson, the Arizona State Athletic Director, minimized the harassment allegations that three wives of ASU staff members brought forth against, like you just said, a prominent booster. So you start, you hear that that one statement right there, all right, without having any other context, and your your mind starts telling you, oh, okay, I see what this is about. This is about, you know, you got to protect boosters, right? If it's something that you can maybe sort of sweep under the rug, you're, you, uh, and this is kind of where it winds up going. If it wasn't that bad, you know, if it's something that we could sort of talk our way around where, oh, he was just being... He was just being an old guy, you know. He didn't mean anything by it. And let's try to protect him because he gives a lot of money to the program. That doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know. That right. that doesn't work. This is this it doesn't I even hate saying, you know, this is 2020 because it should have never worked, but we do live in the real world and you and I we've we've seen like how how things are acceptable when they really in no way should be. And that money does drive a lot. It's sad, but that's the way it is. But it certainly can't be when one of those people, as you said, CB, is your head basketball coach's wife. And there's a, some emails that the sites have gotten a hold of. From December 8, uh, from his account, Hurley accuses his boss of having, quote, disregarded the safety and shown no sensitivity towards the women that have experienced sexual assault. I feel like I've been lied to, he wrote to his boss. Here was a little more context. He accuses uh, Ray of coming up with a numeric scale in which he judged the harassment claims, one of which is Leslie Hurley. And he asked Anderson, he flipped it around, said, how would you feel if your wife and daughter were in a situation, maybe in your words, the sexual assault committed by such and such was a two or a three? But if this had happened to Buffy or Kimmy, would it still be a level two or a three? Uh, this is ugly, like you said, it's Colin. Really I mean, you yeah. start reading into this, and this is head coach having a big problem with the AD, and it's about a sexual harassment claim, and it's Bobby's wife mm-hmm. and two other women that you're talking about, and they're already at odds over this. I almost don't know how this can be smoothed over uh, in the you, long run. That's- you put it perfectly because that's where I was going to go with this. I don't know how you have a working relationship going forward between these two people. I just don't know how Hurley and Anderson get on a plane where they can just go forward with this. And I mean, where you can be buddies again, it's, you know, it's man, this is, this is supposed to be a pretty decent Arizona state team too. And if you got this going on behind the scenes between the two heads that lead this program, that that's really bad. Like someone's got to go. It almost feels like, and I, I honestly, I, I don't want to pick sides or anything, but it sounds just the, the Anderson side is really bad right now. That's all I can say. There are there are things at work that you can get past, right? We've sure. given you we've given you a nickname that you don't love, where we call you an evil bald <laughs> something. You know what? That's just those are things that you just have to learn to live with. You know, we'll get past that. Maybe I don't like the way that you edit certain things or in a certain <laughs> way where you produce. But those are things you can get past. You're right. You're right. Those are just mm-hmm. normal things. You can just talk them over and say, I don't like the way you did this. Like, stop being stupid with that. And you could be adults about it and talk about it. But when you get into it, when it starts to become personal like that and very personal and 
one of the things is serious and you don't think the, you don't think that your boss has has your not only not only do you not think your boss doesn't have your back you don't think your boss is a good guy flat out a good person at this point so that's that's very tough like i i know you're making a lot of money and we've seen situations in sports where gms and head coaches they hate each other mm-hmm. and they coexist but I never thought Bobby Hurley was long for that job anyway. Did you? No, because I thought he'd get a better <laughs> yeah. I, I thought he'd get yeah. a be- better yeah. gig. But honestly, point. here's the here's just a wild part about this whole thing too. And I'm not just thinking about the basketball program, but extending it because we know a guy in Herm Edwards with a football program that I'm sure he's not going to handle this very well, and he's not going to like this at all. No, and, and no, I'm sure he he's, won't. You're I'm, right. I'm sure he's Our had a hard Herm. stance against this. So this is not just a basketball thing. This is an entire athletic department problem and i just don't know how arizona state's gonna fix this but it just it's a big mess that's all i can say is bobby hurley going to get to a point with his coaching prowess he's still very a very young head coach he's 135 and 89 so his record is not beautiful and uh, he'd gone to two straight tournaments he took buffalo to the tournament which was nice in just two years and he'd made the last two at arizona state fringe tournament team Mm -hmm. and they were a fringe tournament team this year i i'm i'm sorry i can't see him getting to a point where he's duke material yet oh gosh no i can't i can't get there i wouldn't (laughs) still pretty far away i wouldn't go that far but i don't know we could spitball job ideas but i think like a another decent like higher up Power five school. I, I mean, obviously Arizona State's in a power five in the Pac twelve, but I'm thinking maybe if he comes back east somewhere, maybe like a high ACC school. Um, I, I don't know, but I mean, he's gonna ha- get some type of promotion at some point because he's a really good coach. Like and, he could take an Iowa, something like that. I mean, I, I would love to see Fran gone if that's the point you're trying to make. Um, Although I don't know if I'm leaving Tempe to go well, that's take the debate. Iowa job, mm-hmm. but I'm just thinking of how you know Fran's been pretty good. I'll give him that as a head coach, even though I I do not like him at all, and those glasses kind of make you want to punch him. <laughs> but he's he's had a, he's been a good basketball coach. He's done the job. He's gotten some wins, and he's kept the Iowa Hawkeyes pretty good. But that's that's a wild story. We'll uh we'll definitely keep our finger on that one as we go on. And I, I'm sorry I've been calling these this this the first summer episode. I realize it's May 28, but the seasons to me. Is. I, I mean, don't know if you agree with me on that, Colin. But when it starts feeling hot and it's it's been in the 90s already, it becomes the summer. I don't care whatever. It's like June 20th is the actual first day of summer. Seasons don't work by just the days on the calendar no. to me anymore. I think the Earth has decided decided that about a decade ago. When I graduated two years ago from Ohio State on May 6th, it was 85 degrees and not a cloud in the sky. So yeah, I'm totally <laughs> in that sentiment that it's it's not based on days. Don't give me that. It's when it starts getting up into the 80s and whatnot. Why don't you bring us home here with your mid-major flavor? Yeah, so I I think everybody knows my affinity for the A-10 in terms of mid-majors, and it's just, it's really... You're an A-10 hater. What are you talking about? You hated on the A-10. No, I haven't. said they were god-awful last year. They were for their standards, yes. (laughs) I'm just messing. You can have an affinity and think it was dog crap. But no, I think it's going to take a complete, well, not a complete turn. I think the top three teams are going to be the same, but there might be a little bit of a different order this year. And I believe that's because the new number one team is going to be the Richmond Spiders. And usually when you don't lose anybody on your team to graduation or the NBA, 
it's usually either a bad sign or a really, really good sign. And in this case, it's a really good sign because they're returning some studs. So Blake Francis averaged 17 points a game. He's back. Grant Golden averaged 13.4 a game. Oh, He's boy. back. Nick Sherrod, 12.7. He's coming back. Jacob Gilliard, 12.7. He's coming back. This is going to be a loaded starting five at minimum. They got at least five guys that average above eight points or more. This is a team when you don't lose anybody and you had that good of a program and they played Dayton really tough last year with Obi Toppin. I think this is the crown of the conference next year. And then also you have to deal with Fats Russell at Rhode Island coming back. Well, is he coming back for sure? Well, he's I, prob- I think I think he's in the NBA draft. I mean, I don't know if he hired an agent, but oh, I, yeah, I, I no, have, I haven't heard any updates. But I, I that's I, Russell, man. That I, dude can play. Nineteen a game last year. I think fourteen or fifteen a game before that. Yeah, he he was in the draft, but I don't know if he hired an agent. I kind of and he's still eligible. See, that's the weird thing is you hear people go in the draft, but you also like kind of assume they come back. I thought he was going to, but I don't know what his draft stock looks like. So maybe he does stay. But even then, you have the Mitchell twins. That transferred over from Maryland that were a point, uh, power forward in the center who are going to be high major guys playing in the A-10 that can really help that team. And I think they are immediately eligible. Um, so it's going to be a really weird power structure in that conference next year because I'm just saying without Obi Toppin, I don't know what to expect from this Dayton team going next year. They just got a transfer. He was like a wing guy for UCLA, Elijah Weaver. He was decent. I think he averaged about eight points a game out there in the Pac-12. Um, but outside of that, I mean... I don't know outside of Crutcher and some of the key guys we remember from last season. I don't know how good they're going to be. So I think that Richmond takes the king spot in that conference. The Richmond Spiders. I can. Rem- you are bringing up bad memories. It was 2004. <laughs> Kansas was on a 52 game win streak when you're you know facing unranked non-com whatever those ridiculous stats are. It's like yeah, you Kansas should be like a on a 100 game win streak against opponents like that unranked non-conference opponents even though you know sometimes you had you know pretty good non-conference teams that were fringe top 25 teams that wound up being ranked later on in the year they would come in there and Kansas would still wipe them out it's the field house you know but Richmond throws in a dagger three literally at the buzzer to beat the Jayhawks it was one of the craziest things I ever saw in my life sitting up there just stunned that the Richmond Spiders beat him. How about their coach, Chris Mooney? He's been there forever. He's been there since 03. Mm-hmm. I think right after that upset, he took the job there. I think it was a Wainwright, and then right after him, Chris Mooney came in around 05, and he's been there ever since. Yeah, he's got one of the longest tenured coaches in hoops. Because this team's getting a lot of comparisons to his team that he had in 2011 that I believe made the Sweet 16. So That's it's... the last time they even went to the dance yes. for, for Richmond. <laughs> if you go, you might as well make it look good. Uh, one last point, though. I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this, and I forgot to put this in the sheet, but we have to really quickly talk about Stephen F. Austin and this mini death penalty they're getting. Oh, SFA, the Lumberjacks. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you take the lead on this. What was going on here? Uh, d- did Thomas Walkup cheat? Don't tell me that oh Thomas Walkup was a cheater. What a please, name. No, please don't tell me. I think his season's safe. They're not touching that postseason, but they're actually vacating the 2016 win. I forget who they beat. Was it what? I think it was West Virginia. I think they beat West Virginia. Um, but yeah, I think it was around. It came out right around when those APR scores came out for schools, and this basically tells you about you know how kids do in school and graduation rates and whatnot. But I guess they were kind of forging some of the numbers over the years across many of the different athletic programs there. So it's not just 
basketball. I think football, baseball, and some other sport on the women's side got hit with this too. So they're actually major, major probation things. They had to vacate over 117 games, and they can't go Ooh. to the post. I don't think they can even play a single game in this upcoming season. So Brad Underwood, he's safe. Who, well, Brad Underwood, of course, went to Oklahoma yeah, State and then went yeah. and now is at Illinois. That, that was back in – he was done in 2016. So I think that was a while when, a while ago when well, uh, Stephen was, F. Austin was doing this and doing stuff in the tournament. I think he was – he coached that tournament win over West Virginia and that's getting vacated. So I would think he's technically still a part of that. But oh, I think yeah, this was yeah. more – Oh, yeah, 2014, 15, 15, 16. These are years that are being tapped. I, I think this was more of an admi- yeah. administration thing, though, because they were f- – Faking things so that players were actually eligible. I don't know if the coaches were actually being held and that same standard, but I do know it was more of a, on an administration level. All right. Well, that's going to do it. That's going to do it for this first one. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff that we just – I'm tired, man. I'm tired. <laughs> I I actually had a good day here today. We're recording this. We're bringing this to you on May 28th. I fired up the charcoal grill for lunch and oh, cooked me that. a couple of burgers. Yeah. You ever done that before? A little lunch grill session right in the middle of a work week? Wife brought me in a big giant Coke from McDonald's. I was just living. I had my own burgers and then a McDonald's Coke. So that was just perfect for me. I can't wait to do this again with you sometime, Colin. We will we'll be bringing them at you periodically as we weave our way through the summer. Really, whenever we feel like it. So how's that sound? Well, yeah, the voluntary workout should start as of in the next couple of weeks, so we should be hearing a little bit more about what's going on with the basketball program along with the football program. Yeah, and always, please, wherever you are listening to us, we certainly appreciate a rating. Even if you thought it sucked, just be a good lad, be a good man or good woman, and just give it a five-star rating anyway because what are you going to get out of – giving us three stars or two stars. That will bring you no good karma. Just lie and put a five-star rating down there. Let the world be a better place. And give us a review. Tell your friends. We're trying to grow this thing. You know, college basketball podcast in a college football town. It's brilliant, right? It's just the way we way we roll around here. So, Evil, we'll talk to you soon, my man. And everybody, enjoy as you weave through the summer. We'll have much more college basketball coverage here on Mad About Hoops.